You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating. I'm your host, Rachel Heinemann, licensed mental health counselor. Each week, we explore the deeper meaning of our relationship with food and our body. I interview experts in the field of eating disorders and psychoanalysis to bring you the answers about why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. All right, let's get started. You're listening to Understanding Disordered Eating, episode 15. Today's guest is Gila Glassberg, host of Get Into It with Gila, a podcast about intuitive eating and personal growth. Gila is a master's level registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. Gila and I have so many conversations about basically everything, and we thought we'd share one about the upcoming holidays. Gila, we're talking about this way in advance, but when the episode drops, it's going to be a little bit before Thanksgiving and Hanukkah. And when we think Thanksgiving and Hanukkah, we think food and family and a lot of food and a lot of family, which could be refreshing to some, but very stressful to most people. Right. So I thought it'd be a good idea to talk about navigating the holidays. How do you do it? You know, and all, all of the things. Yeah. So that's such a heavy topic. It's also such, it's very like weighing heavy on heavy on me right now, even though like the, um, the holidays just passed because we just had literally a month of Mm -hmm. Jewish holidays and it was really challenging for me at least. And every single client I spoke to person I spoke to was like, when is this going to be over? Even though like, I think everybody feels a little guilty saying that because like holidays are supposed to be so like holy and like happy, but like I guess like I'm just a realist, like not that I'm a pessimist. <laughs> I, I borderline pessimist and realist, but like holidays are really challenging for most people. So yeah, so like I hear a lot of what you're saying in terms of like, let's say family. Like if you're not used to getting together with family, I mean, I love my family, but it could be challenging. Like, let's say, let's just talk about the practicality of family. Like, are you going to family? Are they coming to you? Are you cooking for a family? Are you hosting family? Are you, is there a dynamic with your family? I'm sure for everyone, most of those things are, you know, something, yeah, something, no, right? So that's one whole aspect of the holidays that comes to mind for me. And then if in general, if you're struggling with anything to do with food, whether you have an eating disorder, disordered eating, you're working on the intuitive eating principles and somebody in your family is very into dieting or talks about their weight all the time or talks about your weight all the time, that is like super challenging. So those things coupled together with all the food, the special food, the food that you're not used to having, and then Hanukkah, like the holiday that's coming up around Thanksgiving, the whole point of that holiday is that <laughs> there was a miracle with oil. So we just fry everything, like literally everything. <laughs> right. Like, do you want to fry pickles? Do you want to fry Oreos? You're having chicken? Fry it, you know, like exactly. Fried. So when people are recovering from an eating disorder, disorder eating, most people struggle with, with fried food, you know, like, and even if let's say you're not struggling with it because it's a, it's a trigger food. Some people can't tolerate fried food. It's something that like is very hard to, to tolerate. So you mean like their digestive system? Yeah. Their digestive system. Like it's actually really interesting because like your, your stomach can't really tolerate that amount of oil. So it will try to pass through your digestive system quickly. That's why some people might have like diarrhea from oil because it's like really hard to digest that amount of oil. So that's why like so many people don't tolerate fried food, especially if like on an empty stomach, like you don't have anything else to like mix with it. So I just want, yeah. So I just am always looking to normalize that and bring and shed some light on it and 
make people feel comfortable that that's normal. Like, I think for me, like, like that's always something that I like troubleshoot with my own therapist, like before a holiday's coming up, she's like, okay, a holiday's coming up. What, <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? You know, like let's game plan. And I'm always a fan of like a self-care plan, whatever you want to call it. Like we know that there are typical stressors in our lives. The patterns repeat for most people and that's normal. And like, you can't anticipate everything. Cause I think that that also adds to people's anxiety. Like, whoa, I have to anticipate everything. No, you don't like some things happen every year. Some things don't like this past holiday. I just, I just kept saying to my husband, like, I forgot that the trip is so long and it makes me crazy. I forgot. Cause like, if you don't do something for a while, you also forget, you know, so you can't anticipate everything, but whatever you can anticipate, I highly recommend troubleshooting, coming up with an idea. Don't make yourself crazy, but whatever has worked for you in the past, or try to ask people who like you're comfortable with. Like, I think that that's a really important thing to do. In terms of things, let's let's talk about the food for a second. Yeah. So I always see that like, let's just say like, and again, on a practical level, like if you're going somewhere where you don't like the food or where you're feeling a little nervous, like there's not going to be enough food and like, and you can anticipate that, try to think about that in a way that that would work for everybody. Like for some people, I'll say, make sure that you bring your own food, you know, if that wouldn't mm-hmm. insult your guest, your host, do you want to offer to bring foods that you really enjoy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like uh, if you offer as a guest to bring a dish or something, you can say, I'll bring X, Y, Z, and you know that you like to eat it, which will ensure that you have something to eat. Right. And that helps you. And that could also be just like a really good thing to do in terms of your kids. Like if you know that like your kids are picky Mm -hmm. or you know that they like something a certain way and you're scared that they're not going to eat. And then like, who wants to deal with cranky kids who are starving? Exactly. (laughs) That's just like a natural level of stress on holidays. Mm -hmm. You know, like kids don't eat, they don't sleep, they're at off schedule. That's like another whole layer of the fun holidays, right? But yeah, you definitely have to, you have to, you have to eat, right? Like you have to eat. Rule number one is that you have to eat in order to live. So if you're going away and you know that you don't like the way that that person cooks, she doesn't cook enough food, whatever, kosher, there's something you have a higher kosher standard. Just make sure that you're, you are taking care of yourself first and foremost, because you will not mm-hmm. have a good time if you don't have food. Yeah. I will add though, that for some people who are listening, that it's kind of scary to eat someone else's food because it's not, you don't know exactly what's in it, or, right. you know, maybe there's a, a piece of fear attached to eating that. That's not exactly what we're talking about. You know, of course we want you to be comfortable, but I think just challenge yourself to think about why am I not eating this food? Is it because of some sort of like diet voice in my head or is it because of some food sensitivity, et cetera? Right. That's a good point. But I will also say, obviously I would counsel every client differently on this specific area. Sure. But let's say there's a client who a person who specifically struggles with eating from other people's houses because of diet culture reasons. Like they don't know how much oil is in it. They don't know how much sugar is in it, whatever. There could be a million things that they're, that they're afraid of. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and they could be the, it could be the same thing at a restaurant. They have a lot of fear around foods that they don't know what's in it. It could, that could be because they have like aversion to foods. It could be because they're struggling with like anorexia, orthorexia, um, disorder eating. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would say that like, this is so not prescriptive. Like this would have to be very individualized, but for some people I would say, okay, make sure that you make some of your own food, but make sure that you challenge yourself a little bit. You're going to try their chicken. 
you're going to try something that's a little more safe. Like you don't have to try their fried Oreos on Hanukkah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that might not be the time to try fried right. Oreos, but, and then for some people, I would say you're, you're going to be challenged enough on this trip mm-hmm. just because like your family member is so triggering X, Y, Z, whatever, or like the commute is too hard for you. I'm just trying to think of like, whatever possible things yeah. that are hard. Yeah. That's a very good point because I was coming at it from the perspective of don't kind of fall into the quote safe foods, but this is an important piece because if family is triggering or you're feeling triggered enough, then we bottom line need to just eat. Right. Exactly. So, right. If there's like nothing that you're going to feel comfortable to eat and you're just feeling like it's so hard, then I would say you're right. Priority one is eating. But let's say I would have a client who's like into, you know, well into recovery and they're like, I want to challenge myself. I would say, great. What is something that they would likely make and have and that you would be feel safe to eat? And that would be like something that would be a great place. Let, let's say they didn't, let's say just like they love going to family. That could happen. <laughs> and I don't know any of those people. <laughs> I know people like that. I love my family. Just kidding. <laughs> no, but thing everyone has things with their families. That's it. They're just, that's just normal life. So let's say like they're really looking forward to going to their family, but they're really struggling with their eating. So I would say like, can your family be part of your recovery? Like, can this enjoyable, like there's so many things that, that have to like almost like coexist in order for us to feel safe in an eating experience if we're struggling. Right. Like, and for myself, my, for, for even myself, like there's certain places, like let's let, let me just think about the the recent holiday. Like we went out for some meals and like, I had some anxiety about it because I didn't, I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know how my kids were going to do. I didn't know. I just didn't know. So I was already a little bit uncomfortable with the eating experience because like, that's me. That's just me. But then couple that with somebody who's really feeling a lot of food fears and they're away from their house and they can't cook the foods that they're used to eating and they have to challenge themselves. If you have extra support, like, like your mother, your sister, somebody, a neighbor that you're not used to seeing that could be an opportunity for you to practice eating foods that you're not feeling a hundred percent comfortable with eating. So there's like so many factors. There's so many, that's so multifaceted. Yeah. So it's, you know, if you're kind of forced to struggle, not forced forced to challenge yourself in one area, then at least lean on the other, whatever sort of variable we're talking about. So let's, let's dive into some of the nitty gritties because I'm, I'm assuming that some of these things happen for so many people. And at the very least we can help plan with them. So, I mean, the number one thing is especially at the more traditional Thanksgiving dinners and the, you know, big Hanukkah parties is the quantity of food. There's just a ton of it around. And so if there is just a lot of food around and foods that people don't necessarily feel comfortable with a lot of desserts, et cetera, what do you recommend? Cause they might feel really overwhelmed or, you know, afraid. Right. Again, like this is so individualized. Like I'm, so I'll try to generalize it, but every mm-hmm. person and every situation. So different. I will say that off the top of my head, I think Hanukkah might be a little easier in a way because Thanksgiving is just one day. So you might have an experience where you're going to Thanksgiving dinner and you're like, everything really looks delicious. And I really don't have access to all this food. So I really do want to try everything mm-hmm. versus Hanukkah. You might go to a Hanukkah party and then be like, I'm going to a Hanukkah party tomorrow. <laughs> or like, I'll just make myself latkes tomorrow. You know, like that might be in a way a little bit easier. In a way, it might be a little bit harder because there's so much food. Hanukkah right. every 
single day, like eight days, right? Yeah. So, so what's coming to mind for me, I have to really think about this because it happens to be my mother-in-law is from Plymouth, Massachusetts. And so she's very, a very big fan of Thanksgiving. So she does go all out for Thanksgiving. So she happens to make like a really, really beautiful Thanksgiving. I also grew up celebrating Thanksgiving because my uncle was very into it. My, my parents always had my aunt and uncle. So we had like, it was a pretty big deal in my house and it still is kind of a big deal in my adult mm-hmm. life. Is it, what about you? Yeah, we, I mean, we didn't celebrate it growing up, but we kind of do now. It's a nice excuse for a meal. I just feel a little bit exhausted by it sometimes because coming out of all the September meals and then going into Hanukkah, I'm just like, I don't really want to cook for a crowd again. I'm yeah. good with just having the day off. So it's not, it just really depends on the year. Okay. That's also another really good point that we didn't even touch upon. Like oh, we said it a little bit, but the overwhelm of the cooking. And mm-hmm. and I I really want to say this on a podcast that, because I just was discussing it with my husband also, because this past Pesach, Passover, which was like six months ago, I was like paralyzed to make Pesach. It was way too hard for me because like, because like my mom passed away and like the first year I made Pesach for everyone. And then the next year was, we were supposed to go to Israel and it was Corona. It was just like super triggering for me, like the whole concept. And I think my husband stepped up and I'm, I'm very lucky he's able to cook. So he did a lot of the cooking, but once he did the cooking, we both realized that like, we just kind of wanted to give like a shout out to all moms because it's not just the cooking, right? It's like, what, what do they call it? The mental load. I just heard about this concept. Great. Making your list and going to the store and cooking it and freezing it. And we're yeah, going go? to the store and 17 million times. It's really. And then when are you serving it and how are you heating it? Mm-hmm. Those are all like, a, I would go to sleep with anxiety, like which meal, which this, which fridge, which freezer, which yeah. I don't know where my head is, you know? So that exactly. was, that's, that's another whole thing, but yeah. Okay, let's, but I'm let's also just to interject one more time. I'm glad that you're having this conversation because as a Jewish mom, we, you do this twice a week, every Friday night right. and Saturday lunch. Right. And so for Thanksgiving, it's the kind of thing where in the beginning of October, the magazines are already saying, okay, so start with this, start with that. And as much as it's anxiety provoking, <laughs> you have all the experience. So right. you're, the, right. you're the perfect person to, to right. share some insights about this. Right. Right. So let's go back to, okay. So let's see like Hanukkah or Thanksgiving's approaching. So I guess there's, I guess there's like two different people here. Also, there's the person who is attending the meals and there's a the person who's mm-hmm. hosting the meals. Right. Two different stories, <laughs> two different stories, but they could both be very challenging. Right. Cause like some people feel much more comfortable in their own house. Some people don't want to cook. Mm-hmm. Some people struggle because they don't want to do either of those things. Yes. And they feel <laughs> kind of trapped by like, what are my choices in this situation? Right. Mm-hmm. Or some people have nowhere to go. That's also really sad. Yeah. That was something like a little bit highlighted for me over Corona, which was like, wow, I never realized like, that's so sad. But anyways, mm-hmm. so I think that with, let's say, let's say with, with Thanksgiving and you, there's foods that you're going to be scared by or feel really overwhelmed by, I would say go into it really think about it before you go to the party. If you can, like, you don't have to walk into that party blindly and think like, you know what? I shouldn't be stressed out about my food. You really shouldn't do that. I'm just really thinking that right now. Like you really shouldn't do that. If you are somebody who's really struggling with disordered eating or eating disorder or your work, you're like, you're well on your way through the journey of intuitive eating, but you still got stressed about food. Think about it. Think about whatever you can know before the party let's say, okay, let's say you're the host, but let's like, okay, what am I serving? What do I like to eat? 
do I need to have kid-friendly food? And let's say you're just coming as a guest. You could also think like, what did they serve in the past? Again, what could I bring that I know I feel safe and good about? And then think about like where you can challenge yourself and really enjoy yourself. Like, do you need, do you want to walk into the, do you, how hungry do you want to be when you come into the party? Do you want to be ravenous so that you can have more room for extra food? Or is that going to feel way too out of control? Different people are going to feel differently. Like I know somebody who like, won't when they go to a restaurant, like an expensive restaurant at night, they like don't eat the whole day. Not because they they want to lose weight, just because like they want to be like so hungry for the restaurant. Like I just can't relate to that because like, I would just like faint if I didn't eat mm-hmm. all day. Like I just wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Nor, nor would I recommend it to anybody. That sounds terrible. All physically, right. like a physical experience. Cause then you leave the restaurant feeling uncomfortably full. It just doesn't right. sound very nice for me. Right. It doesn't sound nice to me, nice for me either, but some, I'm not saying that some people don't enjoy that experience of like mm-hmm. being really hungry and then like eating a really, really solid meal. That's again, that's like, probably somebody like who isn't struggling with like binging where they're just eating a little bit past Mm -hmm. fullness. And like, I always say this about the hunger and fullness scale and the intuitive eating book. Like sometimes when you become like, when you're like just full, that feels good. And sometimes when you're like a little overstuffed, that also can feel good because like it's Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and everyone's sitting on the couch watching football after, and you're just in like chill zone. It's very cozy. Yeah. It's very cozy. Like you're not thinking about any other food. You're not like you're not like at that se- okay. I'm I'm referencing the intuitive eating hunger fullness scale, but you're not like at that seven, which would indicate that you still have a little more room, mm-hmm. but you're satisfied. You're like at that nine, where you're like, even if somebody would bring out, I don't know, pecan pie, you'd be like, I really am too full. Like you would have it versus like, do I have room? And then eating it and feeling really, uncomfortable. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that thinking about it in advance because if you know, even going seven versus nine to think about, I'm okay with feeling a nine because I want to be able to try more things. Whereas a normal day, I wouldn't feel so comfortable, especially going to work after, right. you know, it gives you a lot more leeway. Right. Like I always say that, like during, I always tell this to clients, like uh, during the week, and if you sit down and have a meal and you become a nine, which is like a little overstuffed, you might like, that might ruin your day. Like you might not be able to continue your day, but if it's like Friday night and you're like at home having your Shabbos meal, mm-hmm. like it's Sabbath, and everybody's like sitting around and you're like sitting on the couch reading a magazine that might feel really comfortable and everybody's different and every right. situation is different. Yeah. So, and then again, like, let's say it was Hanukkah. If let's say that was like with Thanksgiving, it's one night, but if it's Hanukkah and you, and that happens the first night that might like not be such a great like cascade of events. Cause then like you go to another Hanukkah party. I mean, I don't go to Hanukkah parties every night, but like, I do remember going to a bunch of Hanukkah parties or having yeah. like, especially over the weekend, they're kind of clustered or like people just bring you donuts. Like you just yes. have donuts, you know, but I actually, I always tell this story about my daughter who's like, she's eight now, but like she, she went to a Hanukkah party a few years ago and she came home feeling really sick. And I was like, what, what's wrong? Like she's like, my stomach hurts. I'm like, oh, what did you eat? She's like, I had two donuts and two latkes. And I was like, yeah, like when you, sometimes when you eat a lot of oil, like it doesn't feel very good. So now she's like she, totally neutral. I wasn't like shaming her or like yelling at her or anything. Mm-hmm. But now she has, she knows that when she eats, like, she's like, I don't really like donuts because I don't feel so good when I eat them. So like Mm -hmm. a lot of adults aren't able to feel like that because they have so many, they've been so messed up by by diet culture. But like, yeah, yeah. Kids like are more simple minded. Like you could explain that Mm -hmm. to them and be like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Something else that I was thinking about when you were talking about, think about the number or the level of 
hunger that you want to go into it. A lot of times, and this, I guess, applies more to Thanksgiving than Hanukkah meals, Hanukkah parties, that Thanksgiving is at a weird hour. It's not lunch. It's not dinner. It's really not anything. And so it messes up, especially if someone's in in recovery for an eating disorder and it's so important to eat regularly at not exactly a set time, but pretty structured. It's important. What would you say to do on that day? Because things are going to be out of whack. I would say that if you're recovering from an eating disorder and that your mealtimes, whoever helps you discuss, like come up with those mealtimes, your your dietitian, that's like priority. I would say you would have to call the host and ask them, what time are we eating and what are we Mm -hmm. having? If you're, you don't have to share that you're going through an eating disorder. If you want to, that would probably be helpful. Like depends on the person, but like Mm -hmm. I would, you know, like I would want to, I would hope that whoever I'm going to for a meal would respect that. And I would plan according, like I would, I would say that that's a priority to plan accordingly. Like you have to know what you're eating and when you're eating it. Yeah. So let's just say, for example, Thanksgiving is called for 3 p.m. I'm making this up and you would normally eat lunch at one. So maybe to have like some sort of snack at one when you would normally eat lunch to tide you over because skipping lunch is not an option at all. Right. Exactly. Right. I would say that like we were saying, I was saying before that, like, I know somebody who skips meals to go to a restaurant. Like, like, I don't know. I don't want to say like, oh, that person shouldn't do that. But like, I would say like, for the, for most people, I would say like, if, if you know that Thanksgiving's at 3 PM and you usually eat lunch at 1 PM, yes, you should have some sort of mini meal because you will still be hungry like two hours later. Or, I mean, I do, I'm like, I'm like pretty into the hunger fullness scale. So I, if I would get to a meal at three and I wasn't feeling hungry and everybody was eating depends how comfortable I feel, but I might be like, I'm actually not hungry, but like, could I microwave the food in like an hour? Like I might do that, like make myself a plate and eat in an hour mm-hmm. if I was comfortable. Yeah. And also Thanksgiving dinner goes on four hours. So you don't have right. to eat everything the second you get there. Right. Like, or, or I would say if it's three and you are feeling really hungry and you, there's like 20 dishes, like I would say maybe like plan on eating something like at three. And if you're hungry again, at like six, try some different foods, you know, like you probably will feel hungry again at some point. Mm -hmm. I also will say that like, I talk about this a lot. Like I I was talking about this a lot on Instagram, let's say around Purim, which is a one day Jewish holiday. I do want people to remember like that when you reflect back on Thanksgiving or Hanukkah, right? There's 365 days in, in the year. And like our holidays are like a very small fraction and like food is supposed to enhance that day. So like if you're, if that day is so filled with fear and guilt and shame around food, that's like a really negative experience. I mean, anyways, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say like holidays are perfect because they're not like, I will just be the first person to normalize that. Like I for sure used to have this concept in my head, like the holidays are so much fun. <laughs> and like, we all just sit around singing and like holding hands. Like, no, that's not what holidays are like in real life. I'm sorry. But (laughs) like, I do think that for the most part, like what we're trying to do is like build a really positive memory, right? Like Mm -hmm. have a memorable, positive experience with our family and loved ones and friends or whatever. So like, and the food is supposed to enhance that. So I would say it's like a really important goal for anyone that like to work on making peace with the food. Cause it's like, Mm-hmm. so powerful, so beautiful, so much opportunity to have a positive experience. Yeah. I'm thinking about even just bonding over dessert. So if there's pumpkin pie, pecan pie, donuts, whatever there is that 
when you look back at it, would you want to think about all the anxiety that you felt about this and that you did or didn't have it, or you had it in a way that felt uncontrolled? Or do you want to think about the jokes that you're telling or the moments that you're having with your family? You know, like which one feels nicer? It's true. That's a really good point. Cause I'm thinking like, when you said that, I was thinking about like times in my life when I was really struggling with like my food and it really did kind of ruin whatever I was doing. It really did because it's so consuming. It's so consuming. Like, you know, you know, that time in your life. I mean, I'm sure like the listeners will relate to it when you're like debating in your head, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And it's just like so annoying. Like I always tell clients, like, let's say we're working on the hungerfulness scale or the satisfaction factor. So like that, that's another really good example with Hanukkah or like Thanksgiving or holidays in general and intuitive eating. One of the principles is the satisfaction factor. So like knowing which food satisfy you. So I actually always tell this story about, about Hanukkah that when I was like learning about intuitive eating, I had this experience and I was like, oh, this is what they meant about satisfaction. Cause I went to a Hanukkah party one day and did I already tell you the story. You probably heard me say it a million times, but I went to a Hanukkah party one day and they were serving lakas, which are like potato pancakes, which are like little pieces of heaven on your plate. They taste so good. They're delicious. So, but like they're fried and then they really only taste good when they're like hot out of the pan. So I remember like I was very new to intuitive eating and I like went to grab a laka and it was like cold and it wasn't salted well. And I was eating it. And I'm like, this isn't like doing the trick. And I just like kept eating it. Like, why am I eating this? It doesn't even taste good. And then I went to the another party that following like the next night and I went straight into the kitchen and somebody was frying lakas. I don't even remember where it was, but I just remember the story. And I took a, a laka right on my plate and she like salted it. You know, you have to salt the food right after you fry mm-hmm. it. I learned that from Chopped and I took a bite. <laughs> it was so good. I like ate the whole lot. And then I was like, wow, I'm done. Like, I don't want anymore because I was satisfied by that piece. Because mm-hmm. eating like 20 lakas doesn't feel good. Eating 20 pieces of anything doesn't really feel good. It's not like, mm-hmm. but that's not really how we eat, you know? But that's another really important part. Like if you're eating something and it really isn't doing the trick, like you don't like it. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Sorry. Because this is the same, like important. I always tell clients when they're like stuck on that satisfaction, what do I want to eat? Or how hungry am I? How full am I? Wait five minutes and then just eat it. Like you mm-hmm. can't spend three hours deciding, am I going to eat it? Am I not going to eat it? Like that's just disordered. It just ruins your day. You wasted three hours thinking about a food. Like just eat it and move on. Practice that. It's a practice because I I practice that. Like when I like sometimes because I do this every single day, sometimes I'm like, Am I hungry? Am I full? Is it in my head? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just eat it and move on. You know, like mm-hmm. it just, it's not worth it and not worth the brain space. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about most situations in which we hope that the people you're around, your family, your friends are supportive. What about for people who are headed into a situation that's, I guess we can say less than supportive. So there are either people that are triggering various different ways. So we can talk about, let's say one situation, a lot of diet talk going on. This is so common with wherever you go. What would you say to somebody who's surrounded by diet talk the entire time or a significant amount of time? So again, this is like so individualized based on so many factors. But the first thing that comes to my mind that I really try to practice in my own life as an adult is that you do not need to go. You could develop boundaries and say, I'm sorry, I don't want to go. You don't have to explain why. Mm -hmm. That's just like everybody should know that you do not have to go anywhere that you don't want to, because you are an adult 
and you are not a victim and you do not need to say yes, even if somebody's going to be upset at you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you have to go. That's number one. I love that point. That's really important. I really want people to hear that and really like let them think about it because like how many times do you make a decision like, you made me and I hate you and I don't know that I'm going anyways. And like, no one's better off because you're there, you know? Yeah. And the worst answer is why'd you go to the question of why'd you go is I had to, no one's forcing you. Right. And I bet you like people will listen to this and be like, you don't know my X, Y, Z. Okay. Yes. But you still don't have to. That's number one. Number two, what if you really want to go? You really want to go, but you also have this same conflicting problem that you know that your sister will stop talking about her weight loss surgery and how amazing she feels. <laughs> like that mm-hmm. happens, you know? Yeah. So I would say that again, you could create a boundary and you could tell your whatever, your relative in advance, like, please don't speak about that in front of me. That doesn't mean it will work. Right. You could, it will, it might happen anyways, and she will speak about it in front of you. So you could either change the conversation or you can leave the room. Like, don't be afraid to take breaks from things that are triggering for you. Like you do not, again, you're not a victim and you don't have to sit there. And like, I've, I've said this before on podcasts about specifically about like the triggers of holidays. Like nobody would bat an eye if you went to the bathroom because you had to go to the bathroom, right? Because like you had a physical need. Sometimes we have emotional needs, which are, I have to f- leave this environment because I'm so upset and angry and I don't know, I need to think about it. I need to meditate. I need to, if if it's, if you're able to write, I need to write about it. I need to call a friend. I need to text a friend. I need to read a quote on my phone that make, always calms me down, right? Like there's a bunch of things. And I think that developing like that tool, that toolbox and utilizing it whenever you can is, is a, an important life skill for anybody. Absolutely. This is, you know, it, it obviously takes a lot of work and it's easier said than done, but developing boundaries and being assertive and saying, this is what I need. And there's no questions about it is what's going to save you. It's funny. Cause like when you said like, this is easier said than done, it's true. I don't always do exactly what I'm saying to do, <laughs> but I, it is definitely my goal that like, if somebody, I, I love somebody, I saw this on Instagram once and I always think about it. I don't remember who wrote it. I have to find it, but it said people who get upset about your boundaries are people who are benefiting from your lack of boundaries. Yeah. That's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good friend who loves you and supports you or a family member that loves and supports you and you make a boundary, like a good friend will, it might be hard for your friend. They might articulate why that would be bothersome to them and that's their needs, but they are a good friend to respect other people's boundaries. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, family drama, it's very complicated, isn't it? It is. It really is. Yeah. What do you do? I mean, this might be you and your position as an RD and especially practicing in the space that you do. But I, I know that a lot of people who have been vocal about their intuitive eating or disordered eating, eating disorder recovery journey, that people try to challenge, you know, the premise of let's say intuitive eating or something. So it's not necessarily diet talk, but it's, you say that you can eat whatever you want, but I know that if I start eating whatever it is, I'm never going to stop. And so where's the science in that? Or, you know, like just challenging, or you're a dietitian and you're eating cake. How does that make sense? All of these like dumb comments. Right. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. I don't know if this is nice to say, but like I recently was somewhere where that happened and I was like, I'm actually not working right now. I love that. <laughs> I do something like that too. <laughs> it's just like so annoying sometimes to be like sitting there eating and people are like, by the way, if you, if you're one of these people, like you could still ask me it. And if I'm in, if I would say, if I'm in the mood to like discuss it, or I'll be like, here's my business card. You could book, you could book a session with me, you know, like, 
<laughs> like, obviously, I don't do that to my siblings. I might be like, guys, I just don't want to talk about this. Like, to my to my closest mm-hmm. people in my my life, yeah. like my siblings, my sisters, and that happens to me all the time. Like, they'll be like, "Ha ha, intuitive eating." Like, look, I'm intuitive eating fifty pieces of chocolate, right, Gila? Like you said, it's okay. I'm like, uh huh, because I always think about Christy Harrison's book. She wrote a book, Anti Diet, and I think that she explains that really well. That like. Every time you decide to engage in one of those conversations, you're investing in emotional energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it's not a triggering conversation. Sometimes people are like, oh, that's cool. And then they just move on. Sometimes they're like, wait a second. Are you trying to tell me that you're blah, blah, blah? I'm like, I just don't want to have this conversation. So I just don't. That's it. Because I have to protect my, my mental well-being. So like, I find that that's like almost like become a little bit easier to do because they might be, they might, I think that we all feel this like responsibility to be like, they can't think that about intuitive eating. I have to tell them that they're wrong, but like, mm-hmm. no, I don't. They could think that about intuitive eating. I don't need to tell them that they're wrong. Like yeah, they can book a session if they want to learn about it. You know? Exactly. And if you're not, it's not your job to change the world, especially for somebody who's not seeking out information on their own. Right. I'm like, so not like, I like when I, I'm like one of those people that like, I'll never say anything unless somebody asks me for advice. I won't be like, by the way, you know, like I happen to be a dietitian and I <laughs> happen to know, like, I just, I, I don't think I ever do. I try really hard not to do that. Even if I really want to, cause I just, I honestly don't think people, I don't like unsolicited advice. So I just mm-hmm. don't think most people do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very good advice for even someone who's not in the field but just doesn't want to talk about it is kind of a, an addition to the previous part of the conversation is asserting your boundaries and saying, I just don't want to talk about this. And so we're not, you know, and all you do is kind of like saying it over and over again. And that's a good point in general, because I think like people who are recovering from, you know, in eating disorder or disorder eating, they might have to bring their own food because they might've had to portion it or they're working with a dietitian and that was something that they recommended. And I think that just getting used to, I think it's normal for people to be curious about mm-hmm. other people's foods. That's like, you know, I just was telling you that I listened to Danielle Renoff and uh, Rachel Talkman talking and she's like, the way that I get to know people is through their food. And I totally relate to that. Cause like when I became mm-hmm. a dietitian, I love that aspect of like cultural food. Like we had to take a lot of cooking classes in college and cultural food stuff. And like we bond through food and I wasn't allowed to eat. And it was like super isolating. Like I really felt that. So like, people want are curious about your food. It's not always like they're invading your privacy, then they're doing something horribly wrong, but that doesn't mean that you might not feel terribly invaded. Right. Mm -hmm. So you could still say like, I actually really don't want to talk about my food and that could be really uncomfortable. But I think a lot of times we say that about lots of different things, right? People say like, Hey, are you planning on having another baby soon? Like people just say (laughs) things like that. And like people, people just say things like that, you know, like, and then we feel like we have to answer them. Actually, I don't really like that person's totally invading your boundaries. Like you could just tell them nicely. Like, actually don't really like talking about that with strangers, you know, like, and that's it. And if it's awkward, like it was awkward anyways. Cause like, exactly. You know? Yeah. I wanted to ask you one last thing, just in the interest of time before we wrap up about exercise. So, you know, a lot of people who have their exercise sort of routines feel good in them. And especially somebody who exercises compulsively, it's really hard not to exercise. But for even people who don't exercise compulsively, it's something that feels good for them. So over the holidays, when there are less opportunities to work out, what would be some of your advice for somebody who isn't able to work out like they used to, like they regularly do? That's a really good question. And it's a really hard question because I love to exercise. I exercise a lot. I try to exercise every single day. 
because it helps me with my like anxiety, depression stuff. And then sometimes I do feel myself, like, let's say I have parent teacher conferences on the Thursday night. And that's when I go to my exercise class. I do feel really disappointed. And I do sometimes almost feel a little like guilty. Like, why am I missing my class? But like, I have to work on the same things that I teach my clients, which is like, that's a diet culture voice. And nothing's going to happen if you miss one day or one week or one month of exercise. Movement is good for everyone. There's a lot of positive physical benefits and mental health benefits. But if it's making you, if it's doing the opposite, just like orthorexia, like an unhealthy obsession with eating healthy food, if it's doing the opposite, then it's not helping you at all. Exactly. So I do think that that's something that, again, like you want to think about going into a holiday. Like when I was going into the holiday of Sukkot, which was eight days. So I said, I usually try to move every single day. I didn't have access to my gym. So I happened to be at my sister-in-law and I used her Peloton. That was really fun. And like, I I asked her, do you mind if I, you know, like sometimes that's uncomfortable to exercise in someone else's house, but I was so happy I did it. And it was really fun. Maybe I took like some walks some days and some, some days I felt totally fine. Other days I felt like the urge to move. So I tried to sort of follow that. But when I had that like guilt, that nagging guilt in my head, I really try to like label that, like that's diet culture. And I'm going to get right back into it next week. And like trying to remember, like moving is good for everyone, no matter what size you are, no matter like if it's cardio or weight resistance, or if it's 10 minutes or an hour, it's still good for you. So like go for a walk, you know, everyone mm-hmm. can do that. Yeah. And you know, sometimes people have this fear of if I don't work out, I'm going to gain all this weight and no one workout can do that much to your body. The same that no one meal can do that much to your body. Right. And so thinking about this as like an isolated weekend, an isolated week, it can't possibly right. have that much of an impact on your body. Right. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I always have a blast when we hang out, sure. but before I let you, before I let you go, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram, gula.glassberg.intuitiverd. You could email me at gilaglassberg18 at gmail.com. And you could go to my website, www.gilaglassberg.com. And I also have a podcast that's called Get Into It with Gila. And on my website, you'll see like basically most of my podcast episodes. A lot of them are on YouTube. A lot of them are on Instagram. I have a bunch of blog posts there. And you could also sign up for a free 20-minute consultation through my website. So there's a few ways you can find me. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more that Gila has to say. So I encourage you to check it out. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you enjoyed today's episode and you know someone who may as well, please share it. Not only does it help us reach more people, it really makes my day to know that this show is making a difference. All right. Talk next time.